fact that money um, has a lot to do with our hearts. And it has to do with what we believe and what we feel. And, and I'll start with, I'm going to preface with this. We live, and you probably have figured this out already, in a pretty secular age. Secular meaning not religious. And because of that, it's much easier for us to think about and to talk about um, sex. Right? So in the past, in the church, it was, it's not something you heard brought up very often, but it's a little bit easier now. I know, mark this one down, Wesley. He says I always mention sex in a sermon. But there, there it is. It's mentioned uh, this morning. But uh, one of the things, our culture is kind of obsessed with it. Have you noticed that? Have you noticed looking at your news feed and, and like what's happening in our culture? It's just people, sex is freely given, sex is freely received. It's, it's, we're very comfortable with the fact that it's not something um, very sacred. So that's part of being in a secular age. It's just sort of over-sexualized. Now, another interesting issue, and it directly relates to our sermon today, is that in a secular age, money, on the other hand, becomes sacred. Whereas sex loses its sacredness, money itself becomes sacred. Money is the, the golden calf, shall we say. It's something that no one wants to talk about. It's something that no one feels like someone should say something to them about. And it's something we all guard very privately. We don't want somebody digging into our finances. Wouldn't that be horrible? And we're, and we're, very, we're, we're like, I, I should be able to spend whatever I want, whenever I want, however I want. That's the attitude of a secular age, a secular culture. And, and money, in a sense, is deified. And I think that's exactly what Jesus, in his secular time that he was living, it's what he's dealing with. He is speaking directly into the fact that it is easy for money to become like a god. It is easy for money to become sacred. And and because of that, for us to think that it will provide for us what only God can give. That's exactly what Jesus is saying here in this passage. Let's dig into it, y'all. It's, it's going to be quite a journey. Um, but my main point, just so we can get it out on the table for us this morning, is for all of us to be able to look money in the face. You've probably never pictured this before. Maybe George Washington or Abraham Lincoln is what you think of when you think of money. But to look money in the face and be able to say, stop lying to me. Stop lying to me. You cannot provide what you promise. You are no God in my life, money, and you will not be my master. That is my prayer for our church. That we, that, that we can experience the freedom that comes along with being able to say that to money on a regular basis. Stop lying to me. You have no power over me. Well, let's look at what Jesus talks about when it comes to the power that money has in our life. And he starts out in this passage with someone walking up to him. Some person from the crowd comes and says, Okay, Jesus, let's talk about money. I want you, and this is probably someone who's fairly wealthy because they have an inheritance of some sort. And they say, Jesus, divide, tell my brother to give me my portion of the inheritance. And that is a perfectly understandable demand, isn't it? I don't know if any of you have had someone in your family die, like a grandparent or a parent or something along those lines, but it gets real contentious real fast, doesn't it? 
Anybody experience this? Where you've had, you have to divide up the goods from a family or you have to divide up the money and boy, <laughs> cousins and uncles and aunts, you thought you were all loving towards, all of a sudden there's fighting that's occurring. It's difficult. So it's understandable the request this man has of Jesus. He's saying, help me out. Jesus, you're a famous teacher now. He's been going around all over the, area, the Galilean area teaching and he's like, Do something here. And Jesus says to him, I'm not a divider. Did you catch that? He said, oh, uh, Hunter, Hunter, can you you scroll back to the passage for us, please, bud? He says, I'm not an arbitrator of your money. I'm not a divider. Uh, uh, You can go back one more, bud. There we go. He says, who made me a judge or arbitrator over you, says Jesus. Um, and And then he immediately goes into his teaching. Take care is how the ESV translates it. I like the NIV translation. That's another uh, translation of the Bible. It says, watch out, is what Jesus says. Be careful. Woo! But his point is, you're getting confused, man. That's what he's saying to that guy. I, you don't understand, dude, what I came here to do on this earth. Because I did come here to divide. Mm, this should confuse you. Hopefully you're confused right now. Jesus says here, I did not come to divide. Then in this same chapter of Luke, let me read it for you. In the same chapter of Luke, verse 49, he says, I, this is Jesus talking, I have come to bring fire on the earth and how I wish it were already kindled. (laughs) But I have a baptism to undergo and what constraint I am under until it is completed. Do you think I have come to bring peace on earth? No, I tell you, but division. From now on, there will be five in one family divided against each other, three against two and two against three. They will be divided, father against son and son against father, mother against daughter and daughter against mother, mother mother-in-law against daughter-in-law and daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. Jesus, what's going on here? He says to this man, I'm not a divider. That's what the Greek is in the passage. He says when he says arbitrator, I'm not a divider. And then in the same chapter, he says, I'm a divider. Hopefully you're confused, because then we can make the point. He's saying, look, I came to divide people in their view of me. That's what he's saying. He's saying, what this whole mission I came to do on this earth is that people are going to have to make a decision about me. That, not, not Nathan, Jesus Christ. They have to decide, is this... Am I going to follow Jesus or am I not going to follow Jesus? That's the kind of dividing I'm going to do. Families are going to be divided. Some in a family are going to follow me, are going to devote their life to Jesus, are going to see me as their Savior, are going to believe the gospel, and some are not and are going to go a completely different direction. Yes, I will divide, he says. But that decision on whether or not you follow me has nothing to do with me dividing up your inheritance. In fact, Me dividing up your inheritance will just confuse you. Why? Here's why. Because he knows, if if, if he just says, okay, look, yes, I'll come over to your house and and, and talk to his brother, and hey, you need to give him his share of the inheritance, because I'm a great teacher and all that jazz. He knows that man has not made a real decision. That more than likely, that man who probably has money is still under the mastery of money itself. And so, in fact, he has not made a decision to follow Jesus. He is following his money. And that's what Jesus says to watch out for. You see what, see what Jesus is saying? He's saying, you've got to make a decision here 
But your decision is not between you get half the money or you get the other half of the money or your cousin gets 10%, you get 27%, and then your other cousin gets 63%. He says, forget all that. If your only concern is money, you're in deep trouble because I came to divide. He says, watch out. Be on your guard against all covetousness for one's life. And the word in the Greek for life in this passage is zoe. Zoe. Zoe means, if we were going to translate it in our own like American vernacular, it means the good life. Whatever you imagine in your head as the good life. For one's idea of the good life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told them a parable saying, The land of a rich man produced plentiful, and he thought to himself, What shall I do, for I have nowhere to store my crops? He's talking about a rich man who has decided that I can get the good life. And how might this man get the good life? If you guys keep reading in this passage, you're going to see that he says, what I'm going to do is my crops are doing well, my investments are doing well, my purchases are doing well. I am going to build bigger barns. I'm going to get a bigger house. I'm going to get a better car. I'm going to upgrade my phone. Right? I mean, we're all there. Come on. We've all been there. I'm going I'm to get the nicer thing, the better thing. I've, I mean, how many of us obsess about the better thing? And he's saying, this is a real danger for anyone in this life that has money or that has investments. or that has. It's going to be really, really easy to say, now I've got all these investments. I can eat, drink, be merry, settle back. All of my responsibilities are taken care of. I'm just going to chill now. And Jesus says, careful, watch out. Watch out, because that means that money has become your master. Why? Okay, well, here's why. He talks to this guy, and he tells him why. He says, look, what if you die today? (laughs) Then what happened to your good life? And what Jesus is getting across to this man is, you don't have control. All this money you've been given is God's money. And he says, proof that everything you have is God's, God gave you your breath. The life force that is within you is from God. And he can go, gone. And guess what? The principle, he's trying to get the, a principle across this man and say, look, the same thing can happen to your money. You got these bigger barns? Puff, gone. It's not yours to begin with. It's kind of like Spider-Man. I don't know if you've seen one of the earlier Spider-Man movies, but I love the little scene in it when... Uh, Peter Parker and his uncle are in the car. And Peter Parker's on a big mission. I mean, obviously, he's got a lot of bad guys he's got to take care of. And his uncle is giving him sage wisdom, of course. I love his uncle character, by the way. And he says, Peter, Peter, oh yeah, Peter's not in here. With great power comes, anyone, anyone? Yeah. See? The Bible is in that movie, if you're wondering. And that's what Jesus is trying to get across to this man. He's saying, you don't get it. He's trying to express to him and to the people who are listening in the background of this story, you don't get stewardship yet, man. You don't get it. You think that I can just make some investments and just keep piling up my money, keep it all for myself, and then I'm going to get the good life. It's going to eventually come to me if I just keep piling it up. And Jesus is like, no way, no way. That money that you're piling up, those bigger barns that you're buying, 
it is going to own you. It is going to master you. And you are literally going to serve that God. Because throughout the scriptures, and Jesus says this over and over and over again, the term in the New Testament that Zoe is usually translated as is eternal life. Come to get eternal life. And Jesus says the only place you will get Zoe, the only place you will get eternal life, real life, what we would term the good life, is in Jesus alone. There is no other place to get it. There is no other place to find it. And as soon as you try to find it, and he's specifically talking about money in this passage, but there's lots of other things where we try to find the good life, okay? But specifically, he's talking about money. He says, if you try to find it in money, it will dominate you. It will dominate you, and you will actually, and he says it right here. He says, you will stop being a blessing to others. You will begin to forget your responsibility to the other human beings that are walking this planet. We've all been there. We all have, right? We know we should help others out. We know we should give some of our stuff. We know we should share. We know we should help the needy. We know we should help the poor, but we don't do it very often. Because we just want to keep, we're like, if I give it away, my vision of the good life is going to be gone. Right? Like, I've got all these things I'm saving up for. I want a new computer. I want a new car. I want a new house. I want some new clothing. And if I start giving my money away, I'm not going to get that. And then my good life is gone. And then you're owned by money. Y'all, it's a big deal in America. Because all of our advertising is like reinforcing the idea that you can get the good life through having a lot of money and buying a lot of things. Right? I mean... You've seen the, we watch the Super Bowl for the commercials. We love this stuff. And Jesus knows, he's like, y'all, y'all, your hearts are going to go dark if you let money have mastery over you. The good life cannot, cannot, hear it, hear from Jesus, cannot be found in money. You're not going to get it. Quit trying for it. Okay, moving on. So Jesus was addressing in this first story People who actually have some money to spend. People who have investments. People who have an inheritance that they can share with others. But now, if you're one of the people in this room who's going, that's not me. (laughs) I'm paycheck to paycheck. (laughs) I'm barely making it. I'm not even sure I'm going to make it. Jesus has some words for us too. (laughs) I put myself in the the latter category. (laughs) No inheritance here. Um, Yet. So Jesus now addresses people who don't have much money at all. And he says, you're not off the hook. Yes, rich people, and, and you guys get this because Jesus interacts with a lot of rich people and he asks them to give away a lot, doesn't he, in the Bible. Rich people have a hard time coming to Jesus. But, but he's going to say there's still problems for people who aren't rich uh, in this passage. He says, look, here's the deal. If you don't have a lot of money, your problem is not that you're going to look for the good life in the money because you know you're never going to get the good life in your money because you don't have enough. But your problem is this. You're going to spend so much time worrying about it. In the same way that a rich person can be owned by their wealth, a poor person can be owned by their lack of wealth. Money is still has the upper hand. Money is still deified. Money is still a god in a person's life. And he gives examples of this. And uh, well, let me, before I get to the examples Jesus provides, let me give us a, a couple of examples of what he's getting at. We all worry about money. It's, Jesus just, just is honest about it. He's like, this is what you do. 
He gets human beings, right? He created them. And he says, the reason you worry about money is because, well, Alex Trebek. Did you guys see the announcement he made on YouTube this week? I love Jeopardy. Uh, He has stage four pancreatic cancer, which means he does not have long to still be doing uh, what he's doing on Jeopardy. Um, You know, and it's very likely that the scientists say we'll have an earthquake probably within the next five years. It's somewhere on the East Coast. I know. I know. The Internet. I love the Internet. Warren Buffett, who we all love to listen to, of course, he has a lot of money. He says that we're probably going to experience some type of Great Depression soon. He didn't give like an exact, you know, time frame. Could be 10 years, could be five, could be three, but it's coming. You're going to lose most of your money sometime soon. Isn't that exciting? Um, And then uh, also, finally, and I'm trying to express here the unpredictability of life and the insecurity of life. Final one, UVA won last yesterday. I don't know if you saw that, which means we're number one seed. How'd that work out for us, number one seed last year in the tournament? Yeah. Okay. Life's unpredictable. Made the point. And that's why Jesus says, that's why you're going to worry about money. Because you're going to think that money is like a God and that money can solve this for you. If you just have enough, you can push through all that unpredictability, all of that difficulty of life. If you just have enough store up in the bank, or if you just make the you know, payment, the next payment on whatever is the thing you're doing. And he says, you're, you're like someone who's looking to a parent. What are parents supposed to provide for their children? Anyone? Kids? What are you looking for your parents to give you? Basically two things. This is what the psychologists say. I'm just repeating them. They say unconditional love, which we never actually do, but they need it. And then, on top of that, security. Warm, welcoming, secure household. That's what kids need. Money comes along, acting like the God that it isn't, and it says, I can give you those same things. Right? Often people, you'll find, people who work the hardest and are honestly their fingers are raw from trying to get money are those that didn't get those things from their parents. And they're like, money's going to give it to me. Then I can get important. Then I can get, I have a good job. I have, you know, I'm really providing for my family. Then now, now I'm loved. Now I've got security that I've always looked for. It's a false God. And Jesus is pointing it out. He's saying, you're living like an orphan. Consider the ravens, consider the birds, consider the flowers. What do they do to get their good things in life, to get their food, to get their you know, happiness? Nothing. God just provides for them. And then Jesus goes on and he's like, how much more valuable are you than a bird or a flower that's here one day and burns up in the sun the next? You're a million times more valuable than any of those things. And here's the point. Your father in heaven is going to be the one who provides you with the security and the unconditional love that you've always wanted. That's the gist of what Jesus is getting across in this, these two sections of the same passage in Luke chapter 12. He's saying, the good life can only be found in me. And 
You'll be owned by the worry of money until you truly believe in your heart that the Father actually cares for you. The Father actually, and He's not going to leave you high and dry. He is not going to leave you high and dry. He's saying, if you get these things, oh boy, watch out world. You have come unbuckled from the grip of money and you are free and you will be a blessing to the people in your life and it will be an exciting journey together. Because here's how he puts it. He says, you think that you're going to join with money and become like a god. You think it's going to give you control. But here, here's, he's like, wrong. <laughs> Jesus is just so like direct with people. He says, who of you by worrying could add a single hour to your life? None of you can. And he says, okay, since you cannot do this very little thing, why do you worry about the rest? Let go and rest in the love of your Father that He has promised to you. Okay, so a couple of applications, and then we're going to wrap it right up. A couple of applications. First is this. Um, Store your gold up in the treasure box in heaven. So the word treasure that you find at the end of that passage, oh, it's, it's, it's in your bulletin. <laughs> I was like, there's, there's houses up there now. That's Norway, by the way, if you're wondering. Um, he says, okay, sell your possessions, give to the needy. Okay, there, there's one application. But he says also, provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old and with a treasure, this is verse 33, and the, word, the Greek word for treasure here is treasure box. So it's something he's saying, this is actually a concrete thing. Store, make a treasure box in the heavens that does not fail. Whoa. It's kind of wild to think about. I've never thought about this before. You know, I'm, I can think concretely like, okay, I have a treasure box here. I've got a safety deposit box at the bank. I'm going to put my jewels in there. I'm going to put my money in there. And Jesus is like, it's exactly the same principle. If you give to God, it's the same principle in heaven. You have a treasure. You have a safety deposit box up there. And you are banking it with money when you give to the poor, when you give to the needy, when you give to the kingdom. That's what he says here. He says, give to the kingdom. And why are these things so important? First of all, they're important because, they're, because it's God's heart. God himself cares for the orphan and the poor and the widow and those that don't have money. And he's like, come with me and care for the, for the folks that I care for. And then on top of that, he's also saying, He's also saying there is an institution you can give to. And I, y'all, trust me on this. I know you've all been a part of churches, and I'm sure we'll fall into the same category that have um, seemingly wasted the money that people give to it. So this is not a ploy to try to give, get people to give money to the church. So I'm talking for a moment about the church universal, just Think of the church collectively. He's saying invest in that. Invest in the kingdom of God. In whatever expression it is that you find most helpful to give to. Because this is the one ongoing institution. It's not really an institution. The one ongoing group of people that will never end. All the other things that you can give to in this world. Whatever foundation you can set up. Whatever building you can erect. Whatever university that you can give to. All of them are going to fade. All of them are eventually going to burn up. But the one thing you can give to that does not fade, that does not burn up, according to him, is the kingdom of God. 
in whatever expression that might be. And y'all, let me, I'll just make a confession right here. The church often, the, like the physical church, the like church here now, our Christ Central Church or whatever church down the street you want to name, some, does a poor job sometimes of stewardship of money. I, I, I confess it. I just want to confess so that you can just feel that for a moment. I mean, I read an article about this guy who's a pastor in Charlotte, North Carolina, and he bought a $1.4 million house that has 16,000 square feet. I'm like, come on, man. You're giving us a bad name. Seriously? That's just sick. His house is bigger than the richest man in North Carolina. Um, oh, church, church, church. Um, point being, give to God's kingdom. Give to God's kingdom where you trust it. And, and look at the books. Uh, look, look at where the money's going. The ministry you're supporting, look at how they're doing with stewardship themselves of the money that you're giving. Okay, there's that point. Invest in the poor, the needy, and the kingdom. And I apologize for the way the kingdom often just does stupid stuff with people's money. I just can't stand the American church sometimes. And I'm a part of it. So, whatever. (laughs) Okay, finally... In conclusio, I'll reiterate. The Bible teaches this. You can be free from money. It no longer has to have mastery over you. And and the principle comes down to the gospel. The Bible reiterates this point. Jesus... The richest person to ever live or ever walk this planet became poor. Why? For you. And what Ephesians is teaching us, the reason that Jesus became poor, gave up absolutely everything for us, is so that we could become rich. What an absolutely mind-blowing exchange He became poor so that we could become rich. And that richness is not what a dollar bill can provide. It is called zoe. It is called the good life. It is called eternal life. It is true life. It is life abundant. It is where real happiness comes from. Following his teachings and receiving his grace. Actually, we've got to reverse that. You receive his grace first then you follow his teachings. It's always the pattern of the scriptures. And then secondly, secondly, little flock, that's how Jesus puts it, and I'll just speak to us like that here. Little flock, the Father loves you. The Father loves you. And is not going to abandon you. And is going to provide for you. For the rest of your life. To the day you die. And then beyond that for eternity. And he's proved his love for us. In the meal we're about to partake in just a minute. But before we do that. Let's pray. Jesus thank you. Thank you that you have given us a path of freedom. 
Lord, we have all at some point in our life, I don't know who in here, where people are at today, Lord, but I, I, I can speak for myself. I have at many times in my life felt the grip of money and the grip of worry and the grip of frustration and the grip of fear and the grip of um, thinking that I can, f- that the next purchase is going to finally make me happy. And I am always disappointed. And I know for a fact that there are others in here just like me that have found that money disappoints at every turn. And Lord, I pray that you would steer our hearts towards true life, towards true Zoe in Jesus, and steer our hearts towards true security, and Lord, towards true love from you. Free us, free us, Jesus. And thank you that you have promised that on the cross you did just that. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. As I just mentioned, the, the meal we're about to celebrate here together, this is a meal um, where we get to physically see the treasure box a little bit. Um, God knew, Jesus knew, that we're physical human beings, that we, for a time on this earth, we inhabit uh, the space around us, we inhabit this body that we get some control over because of our minds, and that because of that, we're going to need to see some visible pictures of God's love. And that's what this meal is. It is just simply a visible picture of God's love for us, of the fact that food is taken care of, that He has provided once and for all for our needs. And He will continue to provide for us the rest of our days on this earth. Because He took the disciples, and when He was in the upper room with them, He broke the bread and he said, this is my body, which is broken for you. I became poor so that you could become rich. Eat and drink now in the richness of Jesus Christ. And there's only one caveat that we have. We would ask that if if you have not received the grace of Jesus, if you have not received him as the one you follow, that you would take a moment to just pray and think about it. Think about what you've devoted yourself to and let the elements pass by. But otherwise, Jesus invites us all to come and to partake with him. And before we do that, also, Hunter, do you still have the clicker? Yeah, dog. All right. Let's, let's clear our... One of the things we get to do before we come to the table is we get to, to clear ourselves and confess and hear God's blessing upon us. So let's do that together. Almighty and most merciful Father, we have erred and strayed from your ways like lost sheep. We have followed too much the devices and desires of our own hearts. We have offended against your holy laws. We have left undone those things which we ought to have done, and we have done those things which we ought not to have done, and there is nothing good in us. O Lord, have mercy upon us, miserable offenders. Spare those, O God, who confess their faults. Restore those who are penitent according to your promises declared unto men in Jesus Christ our Lord. Grant that we may hereafter live a godly, righteous, and sober life to the glory of his name. Amen. Let's now take a moment of silent confession before God.
pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, be encouraged from Isaiah chapter 62. Behold, the Lord has proclaimed to the end of the earth. Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your salvation comes. Behold, his reward. His reward. The, the riches that money can't buy are with him. And his recompense before him. And they shall be called the holy people, the redeemed of the Lord. And you shall be called sought out, a city not forsaken. Amen. Amen. And if you would, just tear off a piece and we're going to hold it till we can all partake together.